What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Welcome to Night Call, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, this is Emily from Night Call. This episode this week is one of our Patreon book club episodes. It's actually our first ever Patreon book club episode from back in June about Valley of the Dolls. Um, You can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nightcall to get the book club episodes when they drop every month. Our next book club episode will be out on December 15th. But enjoy, meanwhile, our uh, Valley of the Dolls episode out from the paywall. And we'll see you next week on Night Call. It's 1.15 a.m. at the El Morocco, and you're listening to the Night Call Book Club. Hello and welcome to Night Call. This is our first ever book club podcast. We have been really excited to do this for our Patreon supporters. My name is Emily Yoshida, and with me, as always, on the other end of the line in Los Angeles, I have Molly Lambert and Tess Lynch. Hello. 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 Book club number one. Valley of the Dolls. Um, maybe we should explain a little, a little bit why this was our first ever book club pick. Especially, you know, because Tess is the one of us who has already read it before and was familiar with it. Tess, why don't you let us know why this called out to a nightclub book call? 
So I couldn't believe that you guys hadn't read Valley of the Dolls. We were working through all of these possible books and I was like, well, we should probably just choose something really classic that I know we've all read, like Valley of the Dolls. And you guys at first did not admit to not having read Valley of the Dolls. You were like, sure, let's do Valley of the Dolls. That's great. Valley of the Dolls. And then later I found out you hadn't yet read it which made me think maybe a lot of people haven't read it. And even though the language is super offensive, it's tremendously dated, it is maybe not the best written book I've ever read. <laughs> and yet, we'll and yet, it. <laughs> it is like the most gossipy, strange, like it, it. when you read Valley of the Dolls, you've done part one of your experience. Part two is reading about who everybody actually was based on. Part three is seeing the movie. I don't know how recently we've all seen the movie. Um, I watched it last night. Oh, good. It is like this. Thi- it's a layer cake. It yeah. is a little. It's like Wuthering Heights mm-hmm. in that it just like sprang forth fully formed from like a really horny woman. Yes. <laughs> Um, and also she's, I mean, she's just like the most fascinating. Jacqueline Suzanne is such an interesting character and, and such a crazy, ambitious, like. I was just going to say also, like, I think it's such a like camp classic and I think it's referenced and it's made its way into the culture in such a like inextricable way. But again, like Molly and I hadn't actually read it. And I think that a lot of people may be reading this if you were reading this for the first time. Maybe you sort of realize like where half the things you kind of heard is just these sort of lines and references and stuff like that, you know, started from Valley of the Dolls. Um, And that's kind of like the Ur myth of like all these like young women going to the big city to make it big and falling prey to all these different temptations and personal failings and all that. It's like very much encapsulated in this book, I think. Yeah, the book was different from the movie, it turns out. <laughs> Very oh, different. Yeah. George Costanza Book Club. Yeah. Because um, I'd seen the movie, and I'm a huge fan of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Oh, the, which is tremendous. The tremendous, the mm-hmm. Roger Ebert written sequel. Yeah. Uh, but I did not realize the extent to which the book was sort of like a, a 50s book, mm-hmm. really yeah. a 40s and 50s book, not a 60s book, even though it came out in the 60s. They set the movie in the 60s. Yeah, the movie is a 60s movie, but the book is about show business in the 40s and 50s at like the dawn of television. And it is. It's when all the movie studios were pivoting to TV and everyone yeah. was like, don't pivot to video. Well, everybody was like, TV's trash. And then they were like, just kidding. It's money. Yeah. money. We got to go do it. Uh, like everything. There were so many things in this book that felt written through time. And the one I keep bringing up is that there's a line in like the first 50 pages or something where somebody, I think Anne, the main character, is like, why bother having television agents at all? Why doesn't everyone just have a lawyer? Yes. yes. Well, I mean, oh, I that know. is yeah. essentially, she works at a at a law firm, but it is like an agency, yeah. a law firm, management a management company. company. It's all yeah. of it. I yeah. was like, and then another long time went by before <laughs> anyone addressed this concern again. Right. Um, well, let's get into Jacqueline Suzanne a little bit, because this is her debut novel. It's not her first book. Her first book was a book about her dog. (laughs) Every night, Josephine, (laughs) exclamation mark. (laughs) Which was um, a pretty big success. There's a fantastic article that I think is a must read once you've read Valley of the Dolls that's in Vanity Fair. It was, um, I think it was published in 2000 in Vanity Fair. There's a big kind of posthumous profile of Jacqueline Suzanne and like 
how she came to write this book and work so much of her life and all these experiences and all these kind of star fuckery encounters that she had into it. Um, and it's really, really interesting. Uh, my favorite anecdote about Every Night Josephine, the book that she did prior to Valley of the Dolls, is that she went on a book tour with her dog and they wore matching outfits at all of the stops. That is the kind of extra that Jacqueline Suzanne The dog was is. a poodle. And yes. then you were saying, and then uh, JFK got assassinated and she was mad that yeah. it was interfering with the publicity for the book yeah. tour. Oh, Everyone I'd be furious. Was, like crying and she's like, how could he do this to me? <laughs> she's extra petty, which is why the books are so dishy. Because she like would just get even with people who had done her dirty or even just like said something mildly, um, you know, insulting to her. In a later book, she like gets back at Truman Capote for something that he said by like just characterizing him as the most unflattering person in the world, which I guess isn't too hard, but still. Every writer's like, fantasy. It yeah. is. There was another person who like turned her down. So she portrayed him in a book as having a child sized penis. <laughs> <Yes>. Oh, <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> and also Dean Martin is uh, shouted out a little bit in this book. But um he dared to ignore her. She's yes. like, she. it's like fatal attraction. Let's, she will not yeah, be ignored. Let's talk about Jacqueline Suzanne. So Jacqueline Suzanne, a Jewish girl from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. her father like rigged a beauty pageant for her to win or you something. Bet. Yeah. And then she, what we all love about Jacqueline Suzanne is that she is like, she seems so invested in Jacqueline Suzanne. Oh, well, I mean, all of the anecdotes in this profile are like, so she just knew from a very early age that she was going to be important and she was special. She thought that she was like the most beautiful woman alive. That part, it's like, I can't help but love a woman who's like not the hottest woman, but believe she is. Exactly. Because it's like so many dudes do that or like, you know, your personality, force of personality carries you through. Yeah. And I love people like this. She kind of gave me like Courtney Love vibes too, of just like oh, yeah. making a list of like famous people you want to meet and then yeah. just like putting yourself in their way yeah. and also of just being like I'm the hottest person in the world. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And she would not hear, she would not hear her detractors, which I like. Yeah. Especially in Valley of the Dolls, she writes these women who are, a lot of whom are so fragile. Their egos are so fragile. They're so easily destroyed by their detractors. And she just was not that, like she took revenge on anyone who said anything nasty to her. Yeah. But it never seemed to affect her ego. Yeah. She even manages to turn around all the kind of misogynist stuff back on other women, including the people oh, who yeah. starred in the movie of Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> um, she was a... So she, you know, wanted to be an actress. She she had, you know, a lot of points in her career kind of mirror different characters in the book. But she, you know, was a spokeswoman for a a lace company for a while. She would do these kind of TV presentations, not unlike it sounds like Anne's career later where she's the, the, the face of, um, of, of Gilmore or Gillian cosmetics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was a, a, a lady on TV. She wrote plays with her writing partner, um, B Cole, who was largely based on Anne. Um, and she had tried to write a couple books prior to, Valley of the Dolls that were sort of about women and show business and kind of like, you know, behind the scenes, dirt and gossip type stuff. There is a book that she tried to write called Underneath the Pancake um, and another one called The Pink Dolls, both with B. Cole. And then finally she got to Valley of the Dolls after receiving a breast cancer diagnosis or she had a breast cancer scare um, mm-hmm. at first. And um, so she kind of that kind of put the the fire back in her and she's like, I'm going to have a bestseller. God damn it. 
And she did. She wrote uh, what was the best-selling book of all time by the 1970s. Hell yeah. <laughs> and she was also the first author to have three consecutive yes. books go right to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, which also I own The Love Machine. Oh, I gotta read that and one And you should read The Love Machine as well. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, how her love life really mirrored you know, a lot of what goes on in Valley of the Dolls. So she married just to get her career off the ground. She married a press agent named Irving Mansfield. And to have stability. She like, yeah. it's a lot of the stuff in the book where she's like, you marry the boring guy. And well, then... he was like her business partner, yeah. her hype man, kind of. I mean, he just he's kind of. Mel in the book. Yeah, yeah, he's Mel, who is married to Neil or, you know, Neely's like great love at first. And then Neely grows so big, her stardom explodes and she Kicks has no use curve. for Mel. Yeah, but she cheated with a bunch of Jewish comics. That was like yes. in this profile. They're like yes. she, she, her whole deal. They were like she was so horned up yeah. for Joey Brown. Yeah, this like this made me laugh so. Joey much. Lewis? No. Oh, Joey Brown. Right? Oh, I thought it was Joey e. Lewis. Lewis and she named yeah. her dog after him. Josephine was named yeah. after him. Are you sure it's not Joey Brown? Because he's also a comedian of that time. Sorry. Now I'm looking it up. Even even we can't keep our. <laughs> I can't believe there were two comedians. But first, let me just say that Joey. the first person she cheated with was Eddie Cantor, who I had to look up. He was known as the Apostle of Pep, and he was like a radio and stage star, and like I think later TV and movie. Very but, familiar with Eddie Cantor. Okay, yeah, tell us. <laughs> but so he would have bits about his family. He had like five kids, but he was cheating on his his wife Ida yeah I mean this whole thing like what's interesting that's like in the story about her that's not so much in the book is like everybody is Jewish Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. and sort of almost everybody involved in this scene is like a New York Jew from the suburbs who like wanted to make it in theater right she's from Philadelphia Ethel Merman I had never really looked up and I found did not know that Merman was short for Zimmerman Mm -hmm. she was like from Queens and isn't didn't Jacqueline Suzanne's parents I know now we're just like talking about the minutiae but it's weird that one of them dropped an N from the last name and the other one kept it and it was sort of this weird feud (laughs) they had like very strange um so yeah Joey Lewis was it Lewis or Brown I don't just go with the legend let's just assume it's Joey Lewis who was Frank Sinatra's friend was her I think second affair listed in the profile but there were probably many more Lewis okay good um so yeah she named Josephine after him and like never got over him I guess yeah she was sort of a star fucker and then tried to be a, a star but again, it's like she wasn't very talented, but that did not stop no. her in any way. Yeah. She remained She's like undaunted. An influencer. She's like a total. She's exactly like an influencer. I mean, there are some very useful things to learn from that Vanity Fair article. Just the thing where she was like, a hun- like publishing isn't the thing where she was like, publishing isn't like acting. Yeah. If you don't get an acting job, you just don't get it. But if a publisher turns you down, like only one publisher has like the star is born thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. One person in a hundred. Yeah, yeah, which is good advice. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting so she, besides her affairs is that I feel like I feel like the article kind of uh, hints at this. And I think it definitely comes through in Valley of the Dolls as well. Is that like aside from these affairs with men, like I think her kind of girl crushes like semi stalking, but like then become friends with your idol type thing was right. Maybe like those were almost like more important emotionally for her. And, oh, like, totally. Know, becoming friends with Ethel Merman 
and then, you know, getting rebuffed by her at some point. And just like that, that hurt seems to like last longer than. But it's also they might have been shopping. Well, we don't know. Yeah, we, we don't, don't know. know. There's a well, lot. There was. Of... Didn't she have an affair with uh, Carol? Carol Landis, yeah. Landis yeah. who is the real Jennifer North. Yeah. yeah. I looked up all these people. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I need to know. There are three main characters in Valley of the Dolls. There's Anne. Anne Wells. Anne Wells, who a lot of people thought was Grace Kelly, but is essentially Jacqueline Suzanne. She's like a wealthy debutante who comes to New York to make it in the big city. And she never wants to go back to Lawrenceville. Never wants to go Her back to Lawrenceville. She shan't go back. Is that she hates Lawrenceville. I would think. Yeah. I think she, but that she, she really won't get into why. She yeah. hates the provincial small-minded yeah. people. Um, she wants to go meet all the nutty people in New York, and then she does, but too much. <laughs> she's a little, she's straight-laced. She's and very she's straight-laced. And she's a little boring. She's yeah. like a 24-year-old she virgin. She's, she's, a ni- she's 19 at the opening of the book. So and she's 19 and Neely is 17 and Jennifer is 25, but lying and saying she's 19. Yeah. So Neely O'Hara is the Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. She started being based on a friend of Jacqueline Suzanne's named Elfie that mm-hmm. she met at a boarding house who was like a sprightly vaudevillian. Mm-hmm. Vaude and then the character kid. sort of turns into uh, Judy Garland. And <laughs> then Jennifer North is apparently people thought it was Marilyn Monroe, but it is a composite of various professionally hot women carol uh, landis joyce matthews who is milton burl's ex-wife but again, i still think i you read it and it's really hard to say that it wasn't also marilyn monroe right, well yeah. it's a composite but yeah. it's like a lot of like showgirls it's like people it's like that are type it's like it's like a specific take on like a on an archetype which is yeah why right. i think it has power it doesn't make sense for it to be marilyn monroe because marilyn monroe is a great actress and was like working on things that she you know wanted to become a better actor wasn't like oh I'm not hot anymore time to die right and she but didn't just there go were like, straight to doing the uh, French art films and yeah but <laughs> there true. were a lot of women clearly that Jacqueline Suzanne knew just in the in the theater New York theater milieu that were like not that talented but were super hot and were gonna like cash in on it while they could but like didn't have a plan after that right well her Jennifer's plan was was ruined I mean her plan was always to settle down and have a a million babies and I think that was kind of like the Marilyn Monroe part of it was that that was like her big plan and it didn't work out more than any of the other two because she never had it and Neely also never had it being a, a showbiz kid from the beginning but Neely had more talent. And so she like she felt like there was more of a future w- with her in that. And Jennifer had this attitude of much more just like, I'm hot. I'm going to use that as long as I have it. But, you know, try to find some security before it's too late. Like, that's her. kind. Well, of also, Jennifer, wasn't it like her mother and grandmother were always trying yeah. to like drain money from her. Yeah, so then she married a prince and then the prince was a broke prince. Oh. What luck. And the, all and this happens off stage before we even, it's like the, like possibly <laughs> two of the most interesting things in Jennifer's life happened before we like officially meet her. Many interesting yeah. things yes. happened in Jennifer's <laughs> life. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the, So the first third of the book is a really long chapter that is just following Anne coming to New York, getting the job with Henry Bellamy, meeting 
I, I swear to God, I thought it was Leon. I was saying Leon in my head the whole time. And then the movie is Lion, which sounds so stupid. Isn't it Lion Burke? His Lion. name's Lion. Lion. Which is so silly. Yeah, it's very silly. But yeah, he's a Brit. He's a war vet. He worked at the law firm. And now he's come back. But he's like not so jazzed on his job. And he really just wants to write. And Anne is totally into him. All the girls in the office are. He's just kind of like a known man about town. And they kind of have this flirtation. But Anne, unfortunately, attracts the attention of a millionaire in disguise, um, (laughs) (laughs) which is not in the movie, um, but is also just like, I hated that this thought floated into my head. But like, it's like, this is Mary suing, though. Because Andrew, the whole thing. That's what. <laughs> yeah, that's what made it feel a little like Twilight. Was yeah. it was sort of like. It also feels like someone who sets out to write a book and puts a lot of thought, like just makes it go really slow for the first part because you're like, I am writing a book. And uh, you're yeah. like, wait, things have to happen now. And then it all starts happening like incredibly fast. Literally, oh, yeah, I don't think anything book, tragic yeah. happens until page 222 or yeah, so. Yeah. Or a so. lot of it is just like, oh, I accidentally got engaged to this man I don't want to be engaged to, but comical misunderstandings keep preventing me from telling him yeah. <laughs> that I don't want to marry him she's basically like accidentally gets engaged or like she tries to say no but he doesn't really hear her to like a young donald trump basically yeah and like has it's to very hang out like with donald 50 trump shades and him at the yeah. el morocco which was a real club that really had zebra striped upholstery um and was a hot spot it was a big like post prohibition hot spot in new york it honestly sounds amazing because people keep being like They'll go to like a fancy place and kind of be like, oh, I wish we were at just El Morocco where everything's like really relaxed and casual. I was like, man, El Morocco El sounds Morocco great. sounds yeah. so great. So yeah. chill. <laughs> There's stars in the ceiling. Yeah. There's like a um, whole orchestra there. They have, a, they refer to like an orchestra <laughs> warming up there. Like, can you imagine going out to a club and there's a fucking orchestra there? That's and yet know. it's a very relaxed club. Everything I know about those kinds of clubs comes from old movies and like Scorsese movies. Yes, yes. And it always does seem delightful. Super bring it back. delightful. Yeah. Uh, bring back full orchestra about, like, performances. Who's sitting ringside and like, you know, the people that you see, you're very, do- like, everybody's just like rubbernecking seeing who's who at the club that night. Um, which is that also where they introduce the the idea of Siberia, the, yes. the place where they seat people yes. who aren't important and the people don't know because they're not even cool enough the to know that they're types. stuck there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's great. They, they, there's a lot of stuff that happens at the, at the El Morocco. Uh, Anne meets Helen Lawson, who's a client of uh, the law firm. She's a, stage vet she's beloved she's uh, she's ethel merman she's ethel yeah. and merman. the book goes on and on about how she's talented but she's so ugly she's and so old. old well it's she's not 35 they, they keep saying how she's no yeah 34 when she oh my is God, old when they and say sagging how she's, and bloated when she's old and disgusting yeah and then they're like yeah. she's 35 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this um, book made me kind of want to like take a pill and go to sleep forever (laughs) well you know what it makes you realize how much the whole 50 40s and 50s would make you as a woman want to take a pill and go to sleep and like no wonder Gloria Steinem was like fuck this book right because it does really make being a woman seem like a horrible nightmare oh yeah which it can totally be right but it presents recording I would say yeah it it presents no alternatives to that which is interesting because like Jacqueline Suzanne herself it sounds like was like sort of in an open marriage and like Mm -hmm. 
Well, this is the thing you know, about all of the Anne stuff and this first this first third of the book and all and the way that Anne is characterized because you know even though Anne's character herself is really based on it sounds like really based on this writing partner of hers who's like yeah. a New England type blonde icy all of that like the the a lot of her career really reflects Jacqueline Suzanne's but the way that Anne is just sort of like oh I don't know I don't know if I want to marry a millionaire I don't know if I want to have this like thousand dollar a week contract with this makeup company i don't know i'm not really into it i'd rather just like i mean like she's not into like everything is just put upon her yeah. she's the yeah. least interesting character yeah. for sure oh yeah she's supposed to be the sympathetic but main character. but she's also the like best she's, she's written not a striver and so it's like kind of disingenuous to me because i'm like but this is jacqueline suzanne if jacqueline suzanne didn't give a shit and, and that's well, but like she wouldn't she wouldn't quit her job when she was engaged to Alan. And right. everyone was like, you should just marry this guy and take the money and then be set for the rest of your life. And she was like, no, I don't want to leave my job. Like, well, I want to stay I at my job. It's like she's projecting into like, what does like, uh, just maybe this is me projecting into her projecting. <laughs> like, she's like a Jewish girl from Philadelphia being like, what would it be like to be a waspy blonde? Mm, like, mm-hmm. and you're sort of like, you have no yeah. feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you just no sort of passion. drift. Along. Well, so yeah. I, for a long time, I'm like, is Anne gay? Because she's like, it talks about her being like physically repulsed every time. This, oh, I thought it was going to be that she kisses because I knew somebody was gay in this book yeah. at some point. And also, yeah, you just there's just a lot of homoeroticism between yeah. her and Helen Lawson, yeah. between her and Jennifer. She Jennifer, and Jennifer at some point is like, if we if only we were lesbians, life would be so great. Yeah. And it's like, you bet. And Mm. then you find out that in real life, Jacqueline Suzanne did have a relationship with the Jennifer North in her life. Exactly. Carol Landis, who was this super beautiful Broadway gal who killed herself Mm -hmm. with pills, Mm -hmm. overdosed on pills. Um, So, yeah, I also I was telling Tess I was like reading about all the pills all night. (laughs) Super chill. (laughs) I was reading about like I looked up Nembutal because I was like when she's describing what Nembutal feels like and she's like, it's like you've you've dead from the waist up or yeah. something <laughs> feels amazing mm, yeah <laughs> i was like what the fuck is that so i looked it up and it was like basically it just got replaced by benzos it's the yeah. exact same thing though but you so would take it, was it like, as a suppository i think <laughs> yeah. yeah really yeah um, um <laughs> our patreon subscriber david brought to our attention um this life magazine expose on diet pill addiction that is uh, available. It's been scanned and it's in Google Books. So uh, we'll we'll put a link to that on the notes for this episode. That apparently was it caused such a stir that it led to the Controlled Substances Act. It's fast. If you have any interest in like what exactly these, you know, this like array of pills that they're boy, all taking we. is. Boy, did we. So it's from 1968, this expose. And um, in the first part of it, they talk, they call them rainbow pills. And it's like this cocktail um, intended to help people lose weight. It said at the time there were between five and seven thousand quote unquote fat doctors and a thousand of them. This is a quote, a thousand of them treating fatties exclusively. They were seeing between five and 10 million patients and doling out more than two billion diet pills. So it was a cocktail of amphetamines, barbiturates, um, which, you know, kind of balanced each other out, thyroid pills and digitalis, which I guess is like a heart drug, both of which increase metabolism and diuretics and laxatives. So that's 
that's quite a bunch. Yeah. The thing that I kept thinking also, because it's so obsessed with age and how people are aging and people having lines on their face. And it's like, this shit ages you like taking, taking, you know, Dexedrine or, or speed pills or diet pills or whatever, like and smoking three packs a day or whatever they and the scotch like, and they're so yeah. drunk yeah. and they're eating jars of caviar. No, my oh, favorite thing that talk- Neely does is she'll just like drink a lot and then be like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna eat an entire Let's jar talk of caviar." About the food, yes, food and pills, food and pills. Yeah. <laughs> now we're '70s Elvis, baby. <laughs> Emily made yeah. a list. I wonder if there's a connection between taking the pills and wanting this particular kind of food because Emily made a list of all the food yeah. in the book. Within three pages, there's three mentions of a dry chicken sandwich. Yeah. Three different dry chicken sandwiches. It's uh yeah, it's it's a big backstage food and then they're eating them at the at the after party for the um God, I haven't been able to stop saying there's nothing like a New Haven opening. Um <laughs> since, uh, since reading this. Like they make so much out of like what it's like to go to a New Haven opening. Uh but at the uh, at the after party there are there is uh dry chicken sandwiches and chicken a la king. Um, I made a more complete list than the one I put on Twitter and it's kind of, it's, it's more or less in, in sequential, but, uh, okay. So we have hash browns, which is what Anne and Alan eat when he's still in disguise as a insurance salesman. He's the millionaire. Um, they're chocolate marshmallow cookies, which Anne keeps around and Neely eats all of them. Um, Anne doesn't eat anything. Of course not. Why would she? She's a perfect woman. Um, Dry chicken sandwiches, chicken a la king, which, um, Molly, I think you it's looked like, up the re- recipe for it. It's like chicken and cream sauce. You guys have never had chicken a la no. king? No. We're from... Where were your grandparents? <laughs> we're, we're Westerners. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. We're not from, we're not yeah. from Lawrenceville, where they <laughs> milk the cows right onto the chicken a la king. It's like chicken in a cream sauce, right? Yeah, yeah. it's chicken and it's it like with like little like floating vegetables that have been previously if frozen. If you don't know what something is and it's from the 50s, it's probably just like something in a cream sauce. Yeah, it's 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 like diced up kind of bland chicken in a cream sauce with like frozen bland vegetables. Bland chicken in a cream sauce with frozen vegetables. Yeah, that it's sounds- also a very popular food. At so um, New England boarding schools, you will okay. definitely get a chicken all <laughs> day. I mean, it looks like a school lunch concoction. It is. Um, one of my favorite food moments, and one of the only times we hear about something that Anne eats, is that she eats a few crackers on Christmas after Leon leaves her at her parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> crackers on Christmas. <laughs> then there's more more crackers next. Yeah, well, that's uh, so Miriam. When Miriam's telling the story, we, we haven't gotten to this yet, but but uh, Jennifer's eventual husband, Tony Polar. His sister. Tony Polar. Yeah, it's Polar. I thought it was Tony Polar. No, it's Polar. It's oh, like, I didn't like know that Latin changes name, it. But it's actually, oh, it's actually, Polar. Um, it's actually Polish, we find out. Like everybody's mm. changed their name in some way or right. another. When she was like a teen carry, taking care of her brother after their um, their parents die, uh, she she gets him a box of crackers and canned soup. Um, and then, then we're with Neely and her um, decadent lifestyle, yes. where she's just eating then the caviar fancy food. and pate, and then more caviar. Um, and then she orders some pancakes because she goes on these like binges where she just takes a bunch of pills and then eats all the food that she hasn't been eating because she's on diet pills. So she orders like a bunch of pancakes and butter, and says so she's going to have a real orgy. Um, and then, uh, and then Anne, this is not eaten, but I just wanted to note it because Anne's only dish apparently that she can make is a crab casserole. 
Um, <laughs> but she doesn't end up making it. She was wanting to make it, but then she didn't. But she can. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the last one that I, I noted was um, two dozen escargots with gobs of garlic butter and black toast, which just sounds like cancer on a plate to me. Uh, but that's Neely. Uh, she orders that and when she's, you know, enjoying her comeback with lion at the club. Um, yeah, I mean, all this food, I'm just like, where everybody would have scurvy. Like, everybody's just eating, like, <laughs> white food. Nobody ate a vegetable until 1967. They don't mention the iceberg wedges. That's what they ate. They oh, had yeah. iceberg yeah. wedges. They had half a grapefruit in the morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always said that I feel like this book is the grapefruit diet as a book. Oh, the, I was, I've been on the grapefruit diet, <laughs> really? too. Really? What is yeah. it? It's just, like, grapefruit and well, coffee? It's the four-day wonder diet. The four-day wonder diet is you have half a grapefruit and black coffee in the morning, and then and for oh lunch, God. you have like a ribeye steak <laughs> <laughs> and like a tomato, oh just like God, a tomato with salt animal. and pepper. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then for dinner, you have like, I think one of them is lamb. There might even be a baked potato, but I might be making that up. And That's you're allowed to have like, diet? yeah, it's the great. Well, it's the four day wonder diet, but it's like a spin. The grapefruit diet, the whole deal is it's supposed to like, I don't know. I was I was like 13 like years old when I went your- on this thing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did you learn about it from this book? I found a printout of the four-day wonder diet at my... It was clipped from a newspaper, I believe, (laughs) at my grandmother's house. And I went on it. Yellowing, like, clip out from, like, Women's World magazine. You're like, that's the diet for me. (laughs) It totally works. It makes you very grumpy, and it makes you feel like you're going to faint because there's no sugar at all. There's so many weird relics of women's culture of the past in this book. There's one where they're talking about Jennifer, and it's like... she did her nightly breast firming yes. exercises oh, yeah. that everyone does before they go of to bed. Course. But weirdly, they had like proto, they even called them frownies, you know, but yeah. they make frownies well, that you buy yeah. now. now. Some of that stuff where they're like, you gotta like, like regular women can go out, but like stars have to stay home and like cover their face in plaster. Yeah. yeah in the little V-shaped plaster that, plaster that is like the same those. as a, Cause I they have sell a, frownies. I wake up every morning and I, my, I'm making the worst scowl and I have a line that doesn't <laughs> go away till like the middle of the morning. They sell, so I, I haven't seen the frowny for the eyes, but in Daiso or like a Japanese like convenience store will sell you like just, the smile ones, the ones that go in just, corners of your mouth. You could just put masking tape on your face. I guess so. But then when you peel it off, the adhesive will have Do aggravated you. know about you. the thing that, that's like the... The cheap facelift, the thing where like sometimes they tape people's faces back for movies. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, speaking of facelifts. Speaking of facelifts. How's age thirty-seven for a Jesus, facelift? Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Let's so, go yeah. into to Jennifer because once we leave Anne, we get into Jennifer for a while. We go to her point of view. We hear about her her past at the Switzerland boarding school, uh, where she has a a her first love, her first romance with a girl named Maria. Apparently, like during the aftermath of World War II, we had a um, email from a listener actually that kind of touches on this. A couple things. So we can get into both of them. But this is uh, from Eric, who writes, When I opened the book, I saw the 1966 copyright, and I thought, ah, neat, but it's not. It's really not at all. The slurs make it almost unreadable. I assume it's a faithful reproduction of how people talked back then, but yeesh, or perhaps geez. It's also (laughs) jarring how often people, people casually touch Anne's face, especially given how clear it's made that she's reserved to the point of being standoffish. The treatment of World War II is fascinating. The main depiction I've seen in fiction of civilian life during World War II is It's a Wonderful Life. And comparing even Mr. Potter chipping in to Maria indifferently swanning around Europe as the world burned is a shock too. Maria and Jennifer basically like hole up at her like family's castle while Spain is like literally at war. And they have this like she's basically protected because her family has gobs of money and Jennifer kind of just lives with her for a while and Maria buys all her clothes and kind of like takes care of her. And then she eventually gets tired of it and decides to go back to the States and finds a convenient, or she tells her mom that she has to send word that she needs to go back to the States so she can have an easy out. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's revealed in flashback and then, uh, doesn't really come up again, but is certainly, uh, it never comes up again. No. It's so it's weird. Super weird. I thought this book was going. I'm so naive. I thought this book was going to have like a happy ending <laughs> where Jennifer gets back together with her girlfriend from the past or sort of like realizes she's gay and that like men have been treating her so badly and she needs to just get away from men. Yeah. Uh, that is not what happens. It's the opposite of what happens. It's the opposite. It's so sad. It's really Jennifer. I mean, Jennifer yeah, is Jennifer's the most plot line is. 
it's it's tragic and I feel like it also the the tragedies that happened to Jennifer are very closely related to the you know painful things in Jacqueline Suzanne's life so they're they're definitely like they kind of are out of sync with the rest of the book um yeah because they they feel very deeply personal and it's like it's so tragic yeah and even I mean Jennifer gets involved with a singer named Tony Polar <laughs> short who, for Polarski yes yeah, which is ba- you know I did we already talk about how it's based on Dean Martin because he slighted yes. her because I still can't get over that no no we haven't talked um, about it but but it's great yeah like she basically she really. stalks him. Yeah, she gets rebuffed by Dean Martin at one point, and then like writes him as this like actually like mentally disabled person, which is so rude. It's insane. So it's insane. But it's also like at first you just think he's kind of just like you know empty inside and just not like a very interesting man well, it's only way her. later he rapes her yeah like he like he, literally yeah. she's on the phone i think with her mom and he like rapes oh, her yeah. while she's on the phone with her mom like yeah he's so you think he's like a terrible but you don't know that there's like an element out of his control no, you just think that no. he's like an awful person i was telling tess that i I'm actually reading Dino, the Nick Toshis biography of mm. Dean Martin for Karina Longworth's new uh, book club podcast, Friend of Night Call, Karina. And a lot of what people say about Dean Martin is like, like, it made me be like, is this based on Dean Martin? Like, is this true? And then it's not. But there is a lot of stuff about Dean Martin that's just like, he was inscrutable even to his closest friends. Right. Nobody yeah. could get inside. There was his wife, um, who I think he also beat, maybe. Uh, his wife was like, he was either the most interesting man, like he, there was either so much going on, like more going on than anyone's ever had going on inside or nothing. Right. <laughs> and you just couldn't tell because he was such a 50s man yeah. that you just like could not get inside. Um, nobody ever got inside. So wow. maybe a little bit like uh, Tony Polar. Maybe. Yeah. So I was waiting for something very lannister to be going on with Tony and his sister Miriam. <laughs> Who, it's it's implied, but yeah. that's not. It doesn't well, go that kiss way. Kiss on the lips in the movie, and I was like, "Oh, are we going to go in a different direction here?" But um, <laughs> but no, she's just been taking care of him because. So they had um, their mom was like a Coney Island waitress who like slept around a bunch, and and they had two different dads. And Tony's dad apparently had this kind of uh, genetic disorder that was passed on to Tony that she knew about. He had like um, like seizures as a kid, um, and she had to take care of him in absolute poverty. And then he joined the church choir, and that's when they realized he could sing like an angel, um, and that he was <laughs> going to be their ticket. So she just basically tried to hide this for as long as possible until it became impossible to hide, and tried to get as much money out of him as a singer until then. Um, and has kept this a secret from everybody that he works with, every woman that he's ever been with, including Jennifer, until it's like that's impossible. the unbelievable part. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yes, <laughs> that nobody would notice. There, but that she she says he'll be institutionalized by the time he's fifty. That's what's so weird about this book is that like parts of it are sort of naturalistic, and then parts of it are just like no human beings have ever behaved this way. Yeah. Or, right. Like, well, the thing is that that the Tony is also partially based on Jacqueline Suzanne's own kid, which is super right. sad. Right. She had a kid yeah. who had basically sounded like his symptoms were similar to Tony's as a kid, except he wasn't able to really pass. And he was sent away to sanitarium or an institution and they kept 
you know, hoping that he'd be get better and be able to. They like, gave him shock treatment. Yeah, yeah. They gave him shock well, treatment also, as a baby. Yeah, That's he was so he yeah. he was he was severely autistic and yeah. I think nonverbal. I think they said he had in the Vanity Fair profile. They said it, he had three words: mom, dad, and God, God damn, it, damn it. And then yeah. those those went away. But before he was born and when he was an infant, before they knew that there was anything going on with him, um, you know, Jacqueline Suzanne would take out these full page ads. Uh, one of them said, "This is show business." conceived by Irving Mansfield, you know, with uh, pictures of all the things he'd done. The new Sam Levinson show, conceived by Irving Mansfield. Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts, conceived by Irving Mansfield. The Stork Club, conceived by Irving Mansfield. And beneath this proud scroll of credits ran a photograph of a smiling little boy accompanied by the caption, Guy Mansfield, conceived by Irving Mansfield. And then an asterisk, in association with Jacqueline Suzanne. And so, and, and everybody says, in the world, it's yes. like the first little Psalm West. Yep. Yeah. But everybody said too that that's when Jacqueline Suzanne, she was so heartbroken. And apparently right. she and Irving Mansfield, you know, weren't, they didn't like abandon Guy. They, after he was, they, they still held out hope that he could be rehabilitated. And then that's when she started taking the pills. Yeah. And also when she got her dog, Josephine, which kind of like took the place of Guy, which is, also super tragic. Yeah, it seems like she was kind of shut off emotionally in a lot of ways because there's also somebody says this kind of sad thing about her later where they're like, oh, she like didn't understand how to like have the emotional part of sex. She just was like so focused on like the doing it that she like never realized there was another level that could be achieved. Yeah, I mean, we should talk about the sex scenes because that's where this comes up in this article is that like she, you know, was getting edits and notes from her editor and they were like, can, do you want to like go a little bit more into the emotional part of these sex scenes and stuff? You know, like the first scene with Anne and like Anne losing her virginity to Lion. I hate saying that. It's Leon in my head. Uh, <laughs> but Jackie objected. Can I just write? And then they fucked and leave it at that. Jackie had far more sensitivity writing the sex scenes between women, which is true. But yeah, <laughs> I think... Tess, were you calling them like anatomically confusing or like there is something? <laughs> they I are think so. confusing. They are. They're super confusing. Yeah. I mean, it's the way that she kind of envisions like a really passionate moment is so wackadoo. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about, my friend? That's not how it goes. Um, although it's like. It is really refreshing in a book from that time, especially written by someone who's, you know, writing about the 40s and the 50s to have them talking about, you know, oral sex and stuff in a very frank way. You're like, all right, props for that. Everybody was fucking. Yeah. And also just like, you know, they were like not virgins getting married where like that was the image they were projecting. But I always think about there's that quote from Henry Miller in the beginning of Reds where he's like, oh, sex was like so much dirtier back then. Yeah. Because everybody was repressed and you like weren't supposed to talk about it, but everybody was doing it. Yeah. Um, My uh, one of the lines I've highlighted in this scene, this first scene where Anne and Leon finally hook up and in New Haven is that she like she doesn't have an orgasm the first time. But then when she does, she says she kissed his face eagerly. I function, Leon. I'm a woman. <laughs> Which, like, I function. You know, that's, what, that's what you say when you're in the throes of passion. I function. Right. I function. <laughs> I'm not a robot. I'm just a waspy lady. Um, okay. So back to Jennifer, though, you guys, like, it, it it's so difficult. I don't know how, like, you know, if we should space out, like talking about her whole plot, but it is very depressing. I mean, the fact that she has, that she's 25 and she feels too old to like 
disclose that you know, that she's 25, so she makes herself 19 is already yeah. very depressing. Yeah. Um, which also, you know, she was like super, super young when she was in Switzerland. Um, that means because by the time she's, you know, 25, she's already like left that long behind, yeah. which is strange. But she ends up married to Tony and living with Miriam and Tony for a long time before they go she to knows. California. They go to L.A. Yeah. So the, and his career is taking off and he's doing great, but it's a, it's, you know, much later that she finds out that he has an intellectual disability that is genetic. So she's also at that point when she finds out, she's talking to his sister Miriam and, you know, she explains that she's pregnant. Miriam's like, well, I hope, you know, it's not his though, is it? And she's like, it is. And she's more than three months pregnant. And Miriam basically, you know, commands her to get an abortion uh, and you know, explains why because of this like hereditary disability. And, you know, she was like, your child could be even worse off than Tony. Like he could never learn to speak. It was basically all of Jacqueline Suzanne's fears about Guy, um, her child. So, you know, Jennifer North, who really wants to have a baby, ends up getting an abortion, which is also like discussed in a very weirdly modern way that you just wouldn't expect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is cool because again, it's nice to read something from that time period where somebody just gets an abortion. Yeah, and it's you know a doctor giving a second trimester abortion in a like clean clinical setting, and you know obviously yeah. now that's something that is kind of you, you know just go to it's Pasadena. a little intense to think about. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, just go to Pasadena. What was interesting about her having this baby was that like one, I believed like she really wanted to have this baby and that seemed like real. That seemed like something that Jennifer actually wanted as opposed to like a lot of this other stuff that she does just, just kind of like get by. But it was also like this weird, it was mixed up with this thing of like, you have to have a baby to keep your man around, which feels like fucking Game of Thrones type shit. (laughs) Like, like you must produce an heir and then they, they will, you you can't be executed as long as you produce an heir. Um, And that, that seemed also, that was equally sad. (laughs) Beyond, beyond keeping your man, it becomes a part of your celebrity that makes the public, you know, it makes you appealing to the public. And I think when Neely. You can trick the famous man because he can be shamed into like staying with you because he's famous. Yes. But also all of a sudden the public sees you as a mother and like that makes you really appealing to them. Now you're, you're older, but it's okay because you're a mother, which is just a showgirl. Exactly. And when, when Neely ends up having twins with Ted Casablanca, which by the way, former favorite uh, blind item writer, Ted Casablanca got his name from that. Um, But when she ends up having her her twins, whose names are B- Bud and Judd, I think. <laughs> Bud and Judd. But there, it's like it's she's <laughs> yeah, she's already falling apart. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, she's, you know, bloated. She's crazy. She's walking off the set. But then she has you know, Bud and Judd. And then they're like, but look, she's got these twin children and she's a mother. And it's like a photo opportunity. And so it kind of motherhood. redeems her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, at a certain point, the action in the book moves from New York to Los Angeles uh, as everybody sort of goes west for television and movie careers Mm -hmm. from theater. And that is when it all goes to shit, essentially. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Um, Anne never really moves to L.A., though. Does she? She does the commercials. She does the commercials, but I, I think that that's was, all in yeah. New York. It's in New York. I think that's in New York. Maybe that's why she's first. saved for so long. Yeah. And then Neely moves out when she becomes a star and she lives in a 
she first lives in a rented house and then she gets a house in Beverly Hills and she goes out with Mel and then uh, Mel is kind of bringing her down. So she ended up, she has an affair with Ted Casablanca, the costume designer on her next picture. And then, um, and then they end up, get, I don't, do they get married or is he just, she just has a kid. She and Ted get, I think they get married. They get married. Okay. Yeah. And he's bi, which is like another thing that's, you know, dealt with like, obviously very offensively and very strangely, but, but (laughs) by the same token, like she's okay with him being bi. Um, and she's mad when he cheats on her with a with a woman, woman because yeah. she was like, I thought, you know, I was like so powerful and like almost emasculating that you were like with a man so that like, you know, but it but it's not the same. It's not like a threat to me. Right. Um, but yeah, he ca- she catches him in her pool with another woman and quote your dingle blowing in the breeze and then like dumps a you know bottle of booze into the pool to disinfect it from whatever they've been doing in there because she's like my children wait around in this um she's a real piece of work neely neely is like the most interesting character by far i think and like as opposed to just being tragic which she's also tragic it's just like She's just a lot. And you kind of see that thing, that cyclical thing of like, she's becoming uh, Helen Lawson, but like Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. steroids. And she's very much based on Judy Garland, although people would kind of dance around that for a while. I think I found a video um, of a like a QA, and a a panel with Bruce Valanche and Patty Duke. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Where they're um, just talking about the movie and. because because Julie Garland was actually cast to be Helen Lawson in the movie at first and ended up getting fired officially because she was like drunk on set. But Patty Duke was talking about like she wasn't really that much of a problem. It's just the director like did not manage her well. And she would just he would just keep her waiting and she would just have nothing to do. And people would just bring her alcohol. And so it would just get really messy but she was saying she, that she was like great to hang out with. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, a couple interesting things that I found out about the character Neely is that she was also, in addition to Judy Garland, apparently based on Betty Hutton, um, because Betty Hutton was in uh, Panama Hattie with Ethel Merman, and Ethel Merman felt threatened and cut her song. And to make oh, up yeah. for it, they they whisked Betty off to Hollywood, which also happens to Neely. So Patty Duke played Neely. In the movie, and um, she was, you know, a big issue was like, will people ever be able to believe that Patty Duke could be a pill popper? And she was a (laughs) pill popper. Um, I was reading also that Ethel Merman, because like they never wanted to put her on screen because they were like, she's not photogenic. Uh, She had this voice. She didn't a mic. That was the big thing was that Mm -hmm. it was before mics. So she could be heard everywhere in the hall. Uh But uh, yeah, they replaced her with Betty Hutton and Annie Get Your Gun. For the mm-hmm. film. Oh. <laughs> so the rivalry continued. Also, super crazy, Helen Mirren auditioned to be Neely oh for the gosh. movie and wrote about it in her autobiography, apparently, which I was like, what? I mean, it's a part of a lifetime. Uh, Neely's it is. pretty iconic. Uh, <laughs> she she kind of shows, like, she has the more of, like, the classic, like, addict trajectory of, like, Getting clean and then coming back and having to come back and then, and then you know, getting back into pills again and all of that. I think through her, there's a lot illustrated of, like, what you can get away with when you're famous. Right. <laughs> like, the privilege of being a famous person. I mean, she eventually ends up being uh, committed for a while in this, like, fancy sanitarium. Anne is paying for it because 
Oh, by the way, Anne is like loaded through all of this. Anne is like independently wealthy, not just from her family, but because she like kept the engagement ring from her engagement to this millionaire. <laughs> he wouldn't take it back. He would not take yeah. it back. She tried several times yeah. to return the engagement ring. I was like, girl, keep it. Which she I does. Know, just keep um, it. And she has her boss invested in AT&T. So she has like, it's appreciated handsomely. She has all this money that is her own, um, which is like, oh yeah, go girl. And then you remember she was already wealthy to begin with. Um, right. <laughs> but she puts Neely through this rehab essentially um, and then one of the people there is telling her like, oh, you know, we have a long wait list here, but because she's a star, we had to get her better. And it's just like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what about all those other rich people who need to get better? But still. <laughs> that it, for sure happens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Would, and that was, that was sort of gross. I mean, like, I think that the book is, is very frank about that stuff too. Of just like, That part of the book weirdly was my favorite because it was the most interesting the part the of most her in the suspenseful yeah when she gets put in there's so Neely gets committed to an institution by Anne this is right after Jennifer's fun- funeral yeah yeah oh, Jennifer yeah sorry this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global when you come back with a Purdue Global degree you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.
talk through the tragedy of the Okay. Book. Jennifer takes her own life because she... Oh, my God. Ugh, it's so fucked up. Okay, you guys, this is... She, yeah. I, like, was trying to describe it to someone because it's so fucked up. She r- realized that she gets a face left. She turns 37 and they make her get her a face French, left. Her French director, like, husband or lover or whatever, forces her to get, her, to get a facelift. He's been putting her in these movies where she's appearing nude, but it's artsy. It's not porn. So she's like, it's fine, it's fine. And everyone's like, okay, she's so Brigitte she's in France. Bardot or something. Everyone yeah. thinks she's 10 years younger than she is. Yeah. So she has to get a facelift. Mm. But then she also finds out that she has breast cancer and needs a double mastectomy and that she can't have children. And then she tells. At this point, she's with a senator named Winston, who she's madly in love with. Yes, who and he's older. loved her. Um, but when she tells him that she can't have children, he says, that's fine. As long as these babies Squeezing her boobs. Squeezing her boobs. And goes honk, honk. And then she just decides to kill herself. Yeah. Yeah. Like rather he leaves, than take, he leaves the room and she's like, well, I guess I'm offing myself. Yeah. Time to die. So she sneaks out of the hospital yeah. in like a trench coat, goes home, puts herself in full makeup in an evening gown. Yeah. And overdoses. So that everybody remembers her. As yeah. As she was. So sad. She said, I had to leave so I could save your babies. It's also in like, her note but, to her I husband. mean, it's sad, but like that part is just like, it's Insane. also yeah. high camp. It's insane. Like it's it's very high camp. She also has recently <laughs> undergone a um a sleeping a sleeping coma thing, a oh, like yeah, sleep the, diet, a coma sleep diet. Diet, yes. Uh, or sleep cure. Yes. The so sleep she cure. tells Neely uh, or they Neely gets the idea that she's being sent to do the sleep diet. Yeah. That's, and which, by the way, I should pause and say that we um, a night caller in our Facebook group said, I've always wondered if that whole coma to lose weight thing is a real thing. And it is it's strongly rumored, I guess I would say. So it is what probably they, is a real thing. Is that barbiturates that they would put them on or what What? What was the drip that they're on? So that's a good question. I want to know because like, if it can be done, influencers would be doing this now. Right. I don't know. You lose eight. Well, this I mean, such, Jennifer lost eight days It's such a black it. mirror, but it is. 100%. Yeah. If you told Kim Kardashian she could go to bed for two weeks and wake up yeah. like 100 pounds lighter... It, it can't be like, she would you, do it. They yeah. give you vitamins so you stay healthy. <laughs> and they walk you around, but you're sleepwalking. But apparently it was something that Elvis did in they the walk 70s. You around? Yeah, because otherwise you die because you need like yeah, circulation. To, so but, but they walk you, you to the bathroom. Because you're so out yep. of it. That. Yeah. That's so scary. Who would do that? Elvis? If you want a really long nap. I mean, haven't you ever been in a place where you're like, I wish I could sleep for a week? I mean, I certainly have. Well, <laughs> when they were talking about the sleep thing, I also thought they were talking about like a rest cure, which right. like I've always been like, sure, a rest cure. But you have to yeah. go to the beach and like breathe the good air, like Victorian That's just a vacation. medicine. Yeah, just a, <laughs> vacation. just a vacation. You have to go to uh, the hot springs. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That all seems fine. This does not seem fine. Yeah, you no. have to go to Switzerland to do it, apparently. Or you have to go somewhere. I think she goes to Switzerland to do it. Um, I think there's also, you know, doctors do all kinds of crazy shit if you have a lot of money. Yeah. I'm sure you could find someone to do virtually anything. So like, well, also, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say one thing that is like a recurring theme in this book, along with just like the meds themselves is like that people get on them because their girlfriends tell them about them. Like it's like their girlfriends or the studio head. Right. Or the studio head. Yeah. So like Neely would get drugs from the studio head that would like, you know, pepped her up. And then Jennifer was like, oh, you need need help sleeping at night. Like I have these wonderful little red dolls. The dolls, by the way, is like 
just I think it's like specific to Jacqueline Suzanne, like the slang to call it. I thought it was a short for Dolophine, which was a sedative, I believe. That's Um, supposedly where it comes from. But people say she coined dolls. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, thank you, Jacqueline Suzanne. She was she. There was some r- letter that she wrote a friend of hers, where she's like, "I think I want to. I think I finally have an idea for a novel, and it's about like us and our dolls." So I think it was just like her friend group would call it that. But now it would just the be hockey like, club, the <laughs> hockey club, yeah. Now it would just be like Valley of the Bars, yeah, yeah. But it's all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. It is like that. I also just like we have speed. And downers. Mm-hmm. I feel like people don't take speed as much. Oh, people take speed. People take Adderall. People Still, take Adderall. Adderall just seems passe to you me. Know, it seems passe to us, but I bet there's like so. I think it's like in the book they're saying like all these people take these things you don't even know. Right. They don't yeah. and they talk don't, about it because they don't tell you about the side effects when you start. They're right. just like this is going to help you like be excited to work. They're not like then there's going to be a come down. Yeah. Or, yeah. or you're going to get addicted and have to take more and more of them. It's right. just like this will get you through today or tonight or something. Yeah. And they really show what a nightmare Neely becomes oh, once yeah. she is well, yes, a full-on so addict. Go back to that. So she thinks she's going for a sleep cure, but she's actually being institutionalized because she's, you know, slid so far from the she top. She can't work. She's not yeah. going to be a star anymore because she, like, can't work because she's so fucked up. She, like, fucks up movies and can't be insured anymore. Yeah. But I think, like, some of the best actual writing, like, I think we can debate the actual the quality of, of, of Jackie Suzanne's writing, but I think that some of the strongest stuff where I thought the most effective stuff was when we're with Neely, especially when she's at the institution. Yeah, and it's just for a sure. stream of consciousness mm-hmm. of like every single thought that darts through her head while she's just like so bored or like desperately wants a cigarette or whatever it is. And that all felt like very, very real and like well realized. Yeah, that yeah. part was a really good uh, approximation of like a speed come down. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where yeah. it takes her so long to stop being like, I'm going to just find more pills. Right. She doesn't even accept it for so long. Yeah. Because she's just like, I'm a star. I'm special. I'm going to find a way out of somebody this. off. Because that's the only she does way that one she point. can deal with it is just to be like, there's a way out of this. I know there's a way out of this where I can just get the thing that I want right now instead of like, I guess I should like figure out how to not need this thing anymore. Like forever and ever. It's just like, I'll find it. I'll find a loophole. There's, there's going to be something yeah. for me to get out of this. So you start in the beginning of the book. Helen Lawson is portrayed as this like sort of pathetic character. But after you see what happens to Neely, it's almost like, you know, and I mean, really, what happens to Jennifer Neely and Anne, who eventually also succumbs to the dolls. Um, but you really see how Helen Lawson, who was never she's just seemed like she was drinking a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember any scenes of her taking any drugs, how she was. She kind of had an amazing career and was like a very cool lady. Yeah. <laughs> like she she looks great by the end of this book because you're like, well, everyone else really self-destructed. Well, she never she never loses her talent. That's exactly. The thing. It's like she doesn't fuck it all up trying to be the same person she was when she was 20 because she wasn't hot when she was 20 so it doesn't matter yeah she was always just a great voice yeah it kind of reminds me of like rappers like when when they talk about like the degree to which kids now like soundcloud rappers now do zannies and stuff like that in a way that like far outpaces anything any of the decadence of like prior wave waves of 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 hip-hop like substance abuse and stuff and it's just Mm -hmm. like so you can't really compare. It's not like, oh, yeah, we all did that when we were young and we were like coming up and it was all no, exciting. it's definitely it's a different level. Yeah, right. They're like of the pill generation. And Helen Lawson is of like the, the booze generation, generation. right? The booze, the, the prohibition repealing generation. Uh, 
But I mean, yeah, especially now, this book does feel super relevant because oh, yeah. a lot of people, a lot of famous people have died from downers specifically, yeah. Yeah. like recently in the past few years yeah. to a point where you're like, this is a huge epidemic that people if don't somebody, talk about until something yeah. bad happens. If somebody does the SoundCloud rapper Valley of the Dolls, like, oh, oh yeah, we should do it. Yeah, we should. <laughs> but also, like, the studios used to, you know, demand that people would work for like 72 hours straight and everything yeah. and then, you know, pump them full of pills so that they could do that. Whereas now people are expected to be engaged in their work basically 24 hours a day. It's like you're at home, but you're still, there's a certain amount, a certain expectation that you're on all the time, you're working all the time. You know, especially like in people who have like an influencer aspect to their careers, they they have to be on all the time. So. Right. That's what's crazy is like Anelia O'Hara now with like, no. I mean, obviously, I kept thinking about Britney Spears, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but just like someone who's been an entertainer since they were like a young child and was totally like used as a public experiment. Uh, and then people aren't sure what to do now because they're like, yeah, you're only good to us if you're profitable well there's also like i think it feels really striking and this is even taking place after the end of the studio era but there's still this like totally like 360 um way that the studios take care of a star like neely where they like find her house and they book all of her travel and they do all Mm -hmm. this stuff for her which she, she talks about later when she's like in her therapy and rehab and she's just like like when, so when you get, when you get kicked out of that, if they fire you, it like, it doesn't just feel like you've lost a job. It's like, you've lost this thing that was just like running your life. And it's very right. easy to kind of like stumble after that. Which also feels like any company that's like, we're a family and right. we're parenting you and you right. know, the employee until we don't help you anymore. Right. Like it's not two well, ways. Nobody actually. Does, like, can you imagine you like, Like even a very famous successful person, like the studio finding them a a house, like, like maybe they put them up at the Oakwoods or something for like, well, (laughs) I've been to houses that like, like labels find for musicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you move somebody out to Los Angeles for a job, I don't think it is that uncommon to be like, and we put found a place for you. Yeah, yeah. You don't know your way around. And it happens to be near the place you work. So you have to always be on time for work. I think a lot of studios and like tech companies would love it if everybody had to. Tech companies for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like Disney invented the tech campus Mm because he wanted everybody to live around the studio in Burbank so that you could just always come to work. Well, that's another thing that's that's weird because like Helen Lawson being older, she's like 15 years older than them. You would think would be kind of the the you know, product of that, like more than any of them, that she would be more controlled by the studio, more controlled by a manager. But she was never but she's in Hollywood. So, she never, well, she was never in Hollywood, but even when they were in New York, there was a certain amount. I mean, I guess that that's true, but it seems as though like she, by not having a husband in particular, mm-hmm. like by not having a partner and just kind of like sleeping around and doing her own thing, she had more authority over herself. And then you think like she's kind of painted as this pitiful character a lot of the time because she's eight like her physical aging and stuff but when neely during the wig snatch and where neely rips off her wig and flushes it down the toilet which apparently like the editors forced jacqueline suzanne to write because she didn't have the meat and they were like this needs it but it's interesting because it's like you know helen has lost like she's lost her hair she's lost like her her looks apparently but you know neely is going to end up losing all of that and more by giving herself over to this system whereas like helen by kind of having control over yeah. her career 
keeps control over her dignity. Like Helen still also. just goes home and like hangs out in her king size bed, surrounded yeah. by pictures of herself. And it's like, okay, sure, like maybe she's lonely and she's kind of like manipulative pe- of people and stuff. But like, it's not the worst life in the world. <laughs> well, you can you can sense that Jacqueline Suzanne like did respect Ethel Merman and did think that because there's no prototype for like a powerful older woman yeah. who can like come in and like pick a guy to fuck and yeah. all the things that she writes about powerful men being able to do being like Gino walks in and like every hot girl in the room comes over because he's got money and they know it. It's like, yeah. well, why shouldn't that work for Helen Lawson too? like some she should have like a pool boy at least mm-hmm. you know to just like sponge off of her yeah um in a better world <laughs> I, I like that she does include the fact that the, at the end you know by the time we're in 1964 or whatever we do see gino again and even he's lost it because he's just like a little feeble old man that has to get carted around um everybody everybody gets <laughs> lowered in Smooth. Some this- by time <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think just thinking about sort of like the bygone era-ness of a lot of this, it did make me be like, time is a, you know, Ugh. just a wheel that yeah. crushes everything. And yep. then I was walking here, we're recording in Hollywood today, and I was walking on the Walk of Fame and just being like, all of these people are dead. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they did such great things, and now they're dead, and this is what remains, is a star that, on the, that you walk on. That yeah. you walk on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of beautiful. It you know? is. It is. I, did you guys like the book? Yes, I loved yeah. it. Oh, okay. my God. I tore did through I, it. It's like I had only read a beach read thing in a second. So I was really grateful yeah. to just like just turn page after page and be like, oh, my That's God. <laughs> and that is what is so great about the book is it's like she was like there's an audience yeah, for this. Yeah. yeah. Like it was really, you know, I think we mentioned this, but it was really critically panned, even though it was wildly successful. Um, there actually weren't even that many reviews of it. Uh, the Gloria Steinem one is like a notable one. The male reviewers that did review it talked about how boring it was. And it's like, it, this book is a lot of things and a lot of negative not things. Boring. It is not yeah. boring. And I think like, if you glaze over because you're listening to stories like where women are just talking about their feelings and relationships and stuff and like agonizing over all the little microaggressions and stuff like that, then like... Which so many men do tune out automatically. They're like, oh, a story about women, this isn't for me, which is the dumbest thing in the world because like we consume male things constantly and we never think this isn't me. We all think we are Tony Soprano. Yeah. Yeah. So like men... Read Valley of the Dolls. You'll yeah, like men it. read Valley of the Dolls. But I, but it is true that, I mean, like, I gasped. I hadn't read it in a really long time. I have my old copy. And also, I wasn't aware, but the 50th anniversary copy has a million typos. Yeah, Mine really. does not. Yeah. Um, I recommend getting the old copy with the pink cover because that's, mine's probably from, like, we were trying to place it. It's probably from, like, 1996 or so. She's holding it at a I'm holding it bath-worn. Like, it's ba- oh, it's a bath-worn book. It's got someone named Aaron's pager number on the front. It's missing the front <laughs> cover. But I there was narr- there was one typo that I caught, which was a period instead of a comma. Um, but other than that, it was fine. But, I mean, yeah, the I, I was, like, reminded because I hadn't read it in so long. I was like, wow. This is, there's literally homophobic slurs on oh, every, every single page. Even some page. fun, yeah. and, an Italian one thrown in every now and then just oh, for Oh, for sure. Um, Did you think this book had realistic depictions of sex when you were 13? 
Yes, <laughs> I did. One hundred percent. Oh god! Speaking of which, who in the book, did, if anyone, did you guys identify with? Oh yeah, we have to do Valley of the Doll yeah. astrology. Yeah, to wrap this up. Oh boy, I think. Well, do you guys know who yours is? Because my answer is complicated. I want to hear your answer. Okay, I, if it's complicated, I, I honestly think if I have to choose just one person, it's. Mm-hmm. Leon slash lion. Like, <laughs> dude, that's so funny. I, I was, th- I was like, I wonder if Emily is gonna go with lion. <laughs> I, it, it honestly is. Like, I don't know the whole like. I, I was like out loud groaning when he starts telling Anne that he's not going to be a lawyer and that he's going to write a book. And I'm like, no, don't. <laughs> like both for her and also for him. I was just like, don't. Um, he's like such a fuck boy, but like also like I feel like I've said many of his lines before. <laughs> Are you a fuck boy? Yeah. I have been a fuck boy perhaps in the past. Um, well, the sad ending of the book is that uh, Anne ends up with him yeah. and oh, then God. realizes he is just going to cheat on her for the rest of her life. Well, also because he he Neely is pairing off with Lion for right. a while, First, too, which is so upsetting. Neely gets out of yeah. rehab. They get together, which makes no sense. And she is fine with it for some reason but she doesn't want to well, upset the apple cart yeah. only after Leon has like repeatedly and like horribly talked about her weight and how oh, yeah. unsightly and grotesque she is now that she's put on a few pounds after you know not being on diet pills for a while and then she loses weight again I guess because she's in love with him and then he ends up getting with her anyway. It's also like a super betrayal of Anne oh, totally. by yeah. Neely. That's the thing. That's the problem. Like, no one is nice. Who cares about Lion no in that scenario? No one's nice to each other in this book at all. I know. Although oh, yeah. women are so cutthroat to each other. Yeah. So which cutthroat woman are you, Molly? I, I love Jennifer North, obviously. Uh, yeah. She's the best. She is the best. She's the most interesting because she's not... I don't know. She She like accepts her assets, but just has like a whole interior life that's completely separate from them. Yeah. Tragic showgirl is like, you just, that's the thing too, is you're like, she's born too early. Like just a few years later and she would like be free from a lot of this bullshit or like at least maybe somebody would be like, I just want like some hippie to be like Jennifer. Yeah. (laughs) So you're go. Okay. Speaking of hippies also mentioned in, I think the vanity fair article was that, um, Jacqueline Suzanne was supposed to be at, at Sharon Tate's house. Yes. Uh, on that fateful night, Sharon Tate played a first. She was invited to dinner. But also, who's it? Was it was it Joan Didion or somebody else? Maybe who said the thing like after everybody was supposedly going to be at, at yeah, Sharon yeah. Tate's for dinner that night and then said Well, no. I think it was a house that kind of circulated with Hollywood people because yeah. it was owned by Terry Melcher, yeah. who's mm-hmm. Doris who Day's was, son. Who they were and actually Day, trying to kill. Yeah, Doris Day said, don't don't yeah. hang out with that guy. Yeah. Um, so who, that also makes it sad in the movie, obviously. Tess, Sharon Tate who is, is involved. Yeah. My answer of who I am in this book, I knew from the very first page that I am Henry Bellamy. Oh my God, yes! <laughs> I love Henry is the so boss much. man. Yes. <laughs> he never marries he, because his only true love was Helen Lawson. Yep. Oh, yeah. At one point right. he says that they had a passionate affair and then he was like, you know, I know it's super sad, but I just never got over her. But I was like, this guy, he's there's so something decent. about this guy. Yeah, yeah like, he's a, a decent as a guy. man of the time, he is very decent. Yeah. He's and like, I thought that right. he was... He's a good male boss in, like, a horrible world otherwise in right. the book. And it's like, like, of course, as a male boss, 
obsessed with a with an aging Broadway star, I can see myself. <laughs> you know, I found I learned so much about Ethel Merman, including that she was married to Ernest Borgnine for like three months. And wait, but tell the best part about that. What the chapter that? in her book? Oh, it's uh, yes. There's a blank page. In it's her a, book. yeah. The chapter my marriage to Ernest Borgnine is a blank page. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, well, guys, this was a romp. This was a fun romp. I'm so happy yeah, you guys read it. Yeah, this was a really great way to inaugurate our book club. Thank you so much for suggesting it, Tess. And um, oh, my pleasure. I want to say I've never in my life finished a book for a book club before until now. Hey. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that, the book club will be continuing. Yes. Who would like to announce our next pick? Yeah, uh, I will take the honor. Our next pick is Ghostland. By Colin Dickey, a tour of haunted things. That is also very night call. Yeah, of course. Um, we're big fans of Colin Dickey. Maybe one day we will convince him to come on the podcast. Oh, um, for sure. That would be we, great. we will start working on that now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, go out and uh, pick up Ghostland, or uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber, which you obviously are, if you are listening to this podcast, and thank you very much for your support. Uh, we will have the link up soon for Skylight, who um, are continuing to be our partners for the book club, and which we are so grateful for. And I'll have a code uh, for a discount for the book that you can order and have shipped anywhere, even if you don't live in Los Angeles. Um, so look out for that. If it's not up now, it will be soon. And as always, if you have any questions or comments about anything, including Valley of the Dolls, leave us a night call at 24046-NIGHT. Yeah, well, I, I think maybe like we can take some calls about this book and next month's and I don't know, like maybe we can yeah. kind of have a kind of the, rotating. The book club's book an open feedback. circuit. But also be sure to when we post this on the Patreon, um, you know, the comments are the comments are wide open and you can discuss the book among fellow book clubbers on there as well. And just like dolls. Pass it along to your friends. <laughs> Pass the book Get along. Pass the book. Pass the knowledge that this yeah. book club exists and that they can be in a secret club that only cool people know about. The Night Call Book Club. Absolutely. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you so much for supporting the Patreon. We're so grateful for everybody, especially all y'all. Thank you so much, especially to all you uh, level five seekers on up for supporting the podcast so far. We're looking forward to next month's book club. And be sure to stay tuned for live shows, for next newsletter, for all the good stuff we have coming for our Patreon subscribers. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you all next month. Night Call is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. 
Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. 